So the last verse of last week's reading, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31, says this. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Think back to the last time you boasted about something. For most of us, probably don't have to think back very far. Uh, Were you boasting in the Lord? Or were you boasting about something else? I I think I know the last thing that I boasted about. In fact, it's probably not the last thing, but it's the, the thing that comes to mind. Uh, at the gym I go to, they've got a, a board with everyone's 2,000 meter rowing times. And at the moment, I've got the record. And I was especially pleased with myself uh, because I was uh, competing against guys who were taller and bigger and younger. And I think I've managed to work that into quite a number of conversations. Uh, I've boasted, but my boast was not in the Lord. In fact, I'm boasting now, but only to make a point you understand. Jesus is the one thing, the one person that we can legitimately boast about, uh, but we don't boast about Jesus. We boast about everything else. Uh, now, to make sense of today's passage, we need to understand that there were serious divisions in the church in Corinth because opposing groups had formed around particular leaders and people were boasting. One person was saying, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, yet another, I follow Cephas or Peter. In chapter 3, verse 3, we we hear that there was jealousy and quarreling amongst the different factions. So the church was proud and boastful and divided. They could have all boasted in the Lord, but they didn't. Instead, uh, they boasted about the groups they'd aligned themselves with, Uh, based on their preferred leader. And a lot of churches, even today, especially today, place too much emphasis on the leader. In the US, and to a lesser extent in Australia, uh, we you have these celebrity pastors, and they lead these huge congregations. They become almost household names. Now, of course, if someone's ministry is far-reaching enough, it's inevitable that they become a household name. Billy Graham was a household name. But when people get elevated in this way, we just need to be careful that we're following Jesus and not the individual leader or pastor. So that was what was happening in the Corinthian church. There were divisions, infighting, and boasting around the various leaders. You know, I think very often we look at the early church through rose-colored spectacles. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear someone say, if only we could be more like the early church. Uh, But when Paul wrote this letter, the Corinthian church was extremely dysfunctional. And the further we go through this series, the more we'll be aware of just how dysfunctional and wayward this church was. And Paul gives the Corinthian Christians a dressing down in verses 1 to 4. He highlights their immaturity. He writes, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. These Christians are not living by the Spirit. They're worldly. They've been baptized by the Spirit. Uh, they, They have the Spirit of God living within them. Uh, but they're not following the Spirit's direction. Uh, To anyone looking on at their lives, it would be difficult to see anything distinctive about them. It would be difficult to tell that they're Christians. 
And I think a lot of Christians today live like this. We can know Jesus. We can put our faith in Jesus. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then we can continually resist the Holy Spirit's efforts to change and transform us. The process by which we become more like Jesus is called sanctification. And it's not something that just happens. It can only happen if we are willing to cooperate with the Spirit of God living within us. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you're spiritually immature. You're not allowing the Spirit to help you grow up. Now, if I was being wheeled around in a giant pram, wearing man-sized nappies and drinking warm milk out of a bottle, you'd wonder what was wrong. Uh, it, it's a, a horrible thought. Try not to visualize it. Uh, <laughs> but this is a picture of the state that a lot of Christians are in spiritually. It's worth asking ourselves, uh, as a Christian, do I really want to be like a big baby in a pram wearing a nappy and drinking milk? How can I progress from milk to solid food? How am I going to grow in the Christian faith over the next month, over the next year, over the next five years, over the course of my whole life? Am I going to be more disciplined in my prayer life? Am I going to prayerfully uh, study a book of the Bible, maybe read a commentary to help me understand it? Am I going to come to church regularly, join a hub, have fellowship, uh, do Alpha, uh, engage in the life and the mission of the church? Uh, What am I going to do to ensure that I keep growing? You know, some Christians progress from milk to solid food rapidly. You know, they come to faith within a year, they're on solid food. Other Christians remain on milk. They remain on baby food their whole lives. We must take responsibility for our own spiritual growth. Uh, I'll encourage you, the church will encourage you, but nobody can force you to grow. You've got to be hungry. If you're hungry, if you really want it, you will grow. If you're hungry, you'll work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. If you're not hungry, you won't grow. So at the very least, let's uh, ask God to give us that kind of spiritual hunger if we don't already have that. So the Corinthians lacked uh, spiritual maturity, and they divided themselves into little groups like children in the playground. You know how it goes. You know, you're not my friend anymore. So-and-so is my new best friend. Uh, You can't play with us. You've got to find someone else to play with. We're the winners. You're the losers. Ha ha. And, And Paul says, grow up. Stop behaving like babies. And a lot of the boasting that was going on was all to do with status. I follow Paul. I'm part of this group. We've got a higher status within the church. Well, Paul brings them back down to earth with a crash. Here's what he writes, reading from verse 5. It says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Notice that Paul says, what is Apollos? And what is Paul? Not who, but what. Uh, In the overall scheme of things, they're so insignificant that Paul gives them uh, this rather derogatory prefix, what. What are they? They're only servants through whom you came to believe. 
And Paul uses the analogy of working in a field. They're just servants working for the master. The owner of the field is God, and God assigns each one their tasks. Paul is to plant, and Apollos is to water. But neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. In other words, they're nothing. It's only God that counts, the one who makes the seed grow. So Paul takes these heroes of the church, himself included, and he makes them as nothing so that the Corinthians don't have anything to boast about. Oh, I follow Paul. So what? He's just a servant. Paul gives himself and the other leaders the lowest possible status. But at the same time, he also gives them the highest possible status. In verse 9, Paul says, for we are co-workers in God's service. In other words, we are God's partners doing God's work in the world. If God has given us our tasks, doesn't matter how menial those tasks might seem, they have real significance. They have eternal significance. Jesus said the last will be first and the first will be last. That means that the lowliest servant will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Everything gets flipped on its head. Here are the Corinthians uh, affiliating themselves with various groups uh, because they want to have something to boast about. And Paul is saying, don't try and attain status in a worldly way. Just focus on being faithful servants, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where the wisdom of the world conflicts with the wisdom of God. Remember, we were talking about wisdom last week. To the world, servitude is menial and petty and insignificant. Nobody wants to be a servant. Uh, We want to attain a high status so that we have something to boast about. But status in the kingdom of God is completely different from status in the world. Remember that God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. When I was at uh, St. Anne's Church in in Tottenham, in London, we used to have open church. So throughout the the, the week, the church would be open, and we'd always have a couple of volunteers who would sit in the church and wait for anyone who came in off the street, which quite often they did. And uh, the uh, open church team was made up predominantly of older Caribbean ladies. Now, this was London, so uh, particularly in the winter, uh, the, the church was a little bit cold, even with the heating on. The church was a little bit dark, even with the light on. It wasn't uh, uh, terribly inviting. And in the world's eyes, it's hard to imagine anything less impactful than a couple of old ladies sitting in a cold church, wearing their coats and their hats, waiting for someone to come in off the street. And sometimes no one did. In the world's eyes, those women uh, did not have a high status, and they were doing something that many would consider to be inconsequential, if not foolish. Uh, but just to give you one example, uh, one day a man called John walked into the church. He was in his 60s. He walked with a, a stick. He could only see out of one eye. He'd had a hard life. You only had to take one look at him to know that. Uh, he was welcomed, they had a chat with him, gave him a cup of tea and some biscuits, and he was made to feel at home. And so he kept coming back. And then he started coming to our Sunday services. And at some point along the line, I met uh, John, and he st- we started chatting, and he had the most amazing questions. And it was wonderful to watch him grow in faith, moving from milk to solid food. 
Uh, I love seeing the progression, not just in his questions, but in his life. Uh, one of the first questions he had was, you know, is forgiveness possible for me? And when he realized that it was, he gave his life to Jesus. Uh, then he wanted to know whether he ought to stop smoking weed. And I said, you know what, John, it's not doing you any favors. Uh, you know, I'm sure that God doesn't want you to be smoking weed. It's illegal and it's bad for you and it's not life giving. So we prayed about it and he stopped smoking weed. Uh, around the time when we were about to come out here, he started bringing his family to church and we'd pray for his children. He had a lot of children and we'd pray that they would come to know Jesus. And when we came here, he presented us with a gift. It was a painting uh, that he painted himself. It was a cross. And uh, at the bottom it said, Jesus, the light in the darkness. Uh, that painting hangs in our home. And it's one of, certainly one of my most treasured possessions. It's such a beautiful painting because of what it represents. It represents a transformed life. And going back to the open church team, the Caribbean ladies, they planted the seed. I watered it along with a whole load of other people. But God made it grow. What a privilege it is to play a part in that process. And we're all play, called to play a part in that process. But neither those ladies nor myself, we can't boast, we can't be proud, because without God, nothing would have happened. You know, the world will laugh at what we do. The world would laugh at a couple of chilly Caribbean ladies sat in a church waiting for someone to come in off the street. The world would laugh at my bungling attempts to explain the gospel to a man that society would quite happily have written off. But these things matter to God. These things have eternal significance. My 2,000 meter rowing time does not have eternal significance. Uh, nor does the amount of wealth we accumulate or the number of countries that we've managed to visit, or the level we reach in our profession, or the height we attain in our career, or any of the other things that we might be tempted to boast about. Don't hear me wrong, any of those things could be part of God's plan for our lives. But what counts amongst all that is our service to the Lord. Are we growing in our faith? Are we becoming more like Jesus? Are we faithfully serving Jesus? That's what counts. That's all that counts. So Paul used this analogy of a field. The Corinthians were like a field into which Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God raised up an abundant harvest. But then Paul changes the analogy from a field to a building, and more specifically, a temple. It's an analogy that we see right the way through the New Testament. The church of Christ is a new temple. So we no longer need a physical building made of bricks and stone in order to draw close to God as they did in Old Testament times because God now lives in his people by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're the new temple because God dwells within us. But Paul says, be careful how you build this temple. Be careful how you build this church. Verse 8 tells us that there is a reward for partnering with God to build his church. Paul says they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. But he's not talking about eternal life. He's talking about some other kind of reward. And Paul tells us that the foundation is Christ. If we build on any other foundation, whatever it is we're building, 
is not the church. But even when we have Jesus as the foundation, Paul tells us it's possible to build with different types of material. We can, we can build with silver, gold, and costly stones, or we can build with wood, hay, and straw. In other words, if we're building the church, but we're doing it because we want to be admired, revered, respected, held in high esteem, if we're building the church in, in such a way as to facilitate our boasting, then we may as well be building with wood, hay, and straw. We're using the cheapest materials. But if we're building the church for God and his people, if we're building a church because we want to see God honored and glorified, well, that's like building with silver, gold, and costly stones. And our motives will be revealed in the end. We can't hide them. God sees them, and God will expose them. Reading from verse 13, it says, Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. I don't know about you, I don't want to be one who's escaping through the flames. So we have to let go of our pride and our boasting and our desire for high status and work as humble servants for the glory of God. Then we'll be building with silver, gold, and costly stones. But isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? We think with the world's wisdom that we are something, but we're nothing. But when we employ God's wisdom and we recognize that we are mere servants, effectively nothing, well, that's when we discover what we really are, the very temple of God. You are God's dwelling place in the world. That's pretty impressive. So why do we boast about such trivial things? Our boast should be in the Lord. Our boast should be in Christ through whom we become the very dwelling place of God, living stones in his temple. We have something of eternal worth and value. But so often we don't recognize the value of what we have, and so we prefer to boast in our own meager achievements. I, follow, I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I, I, I belong to this or that elite group. Uh, I've got a degree, I've got a master's, I've got a PhD. I've got a big house, I've got a bigger house, I've got a mansion. So what? So what? Our boast is in the Lord. And to the world, it's not really a boast at all because the world doesn't see the value of what we have. The world doesn't see the value. I recently read an article uh, about a man in the U.S., who saw a couple of guys coming out of an antique shop with a whole load of boxes. Uh, they obviously bought a job lot. And he asked if he could have a look uh, through the boxes, and they were okay with that, so he had a rummage through. And he found a photo that he particularly liked, and he asked if he could buy it. Uh, so they sold it to him for $2. Anyway, he took it home, and he showed his wife, and his wife said, hang on a minute, isn't that... Anyway, they did a whole load of research, and they had to go to quite some efforts to have it verified... Uh, but it turned out to be a genuine photo of Billy the Kid and four of his regulators. And the photo that he'd bought for $2, he then sold for $5 million. 
the shop owner didn't recognize the value of that photo. The two men with all the boxes, they didn't recognize the value of that photo. And in the same way, the world doesn't recognize the value of being a living stone in God's temple. The world doesn't recognize the value of being a servant of Jesus Christ. To the world, uh, to a lot of people, to most people, it just seems like foolish nonsense. And even the Corinthians, they were such immature Christians that they were boasting about human leaders rather than Christ, who is everything. So let's not look back at the early church and say, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be more like that? Instead, let's take responsibility, each one of us, for our own spiritual growth and aim to exceed the Corinthians in Christian maturity. Let's grasp the value of what we have in Christ and let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, acknowledge that in the busyness of our daily lives, we so often take our sights off you. Uh, We fail to recognize and to appreciate the value of what we have. We fail to appreciate the wonderful privilege of partnering with you to build your kingdom, to build your church, your temple. We pray, Father, uh, that you'll impress on us this morning by the power of your, your spirit just how wonderful it is that we get to be here, we get to be part of this, uh, we get to see other people growing in faith and coming to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Father, that we'll be fired up Christians, that we will know the value of what we have, and that we will be faithful servants uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.